Please pray with me. Oh God, as we turn our hearts and minds to hear a word from you, bless now the sharing of your word. Bless now the hearing. Bless us all to the living of it all. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. The mark of humility. The mark of humility. As the Christmas season has come to a close and we embark on this season of epiphany, all of Christendom is acknowledging the identity of Jesus in some way or another. While some focus on the coming of the Magi and the celebration of a long-awaited king with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, others like us are reflecting on Jesus' baptism, his divinity, and the inauguration of his public ministry. Regardless of which gospel text you read, both the visit of the Magi and the baptism of our Lord reveal Jesus as the Son of God. In identifying Jesus as the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit, the Word of God shows us that God, the creator of the universe, showed up yet again to straighten out all the mess that had been created in the universe. The manifestation of God's divine presence is at the core of this season and celebration of Epiphany. It is also at the core of the work we celebrate as we commission those who have come to commit to yet another year as adjunct, adjunct ministers and volunteers of Richmond Hill. Many of you are here because you understand that the process of redemption, that process of cleaning up the mess that's in our lives in this world is not over. As I reflected on this text, it became clear to me that a major factor in the cleaning up process or the redemption process has to do with humility. In our rule of life here at Richmond Hill, we describe humility as living one's life in perspective and a commitment to assess and honor one's own gifts and those of others. Of course, there is that old adage that says that humility is getting to heaven and discovering that there are three wonders in heaven. One, that you will see people you didn't expect there, people that you expect to see you won't see, and the greatest wonder of all is that you'll be there yourself. <laughs> In this text, both John and Jesus demonstrate a degree of humility that is seldom witnessed in our own time. Nevertheless, humility remains a sure mark of our ability to live out our call as witnesses of Jesus Christ and to grow into our created selves. And every one of us has this call to humility on our life. None of us are exempt. In several places in the scriptures, we are reminded that those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. We are reminded in the word of God that those who humble themselves before our Lord, God will exalt, and God will do it in God's own time. As Mark tells this story of the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, 
I trust that it is not lost on any of us that he begins the story by talking about John the Baptist. And so doing, it serves as a reminder to us that this process of redemption was and is the growing and the developing of God's people in partnership with one another. And we thank God that so many of you, most of you I imagine tonight, are in partnership with someone because you believe that God has called you to help with the development and growth of another. It is, the, it is the process of becoming who we are meant to be, both individually and collectively, that we are called to share in. And humility is key to that development. Jesus' public ministry began not just with his own humility, but with that of John the Baptist as well. If ever we want to know what the mark of humility might look like in our own lives, I think turning to verses 9 through 11 in the text that I just read would help us to see pretty explicitly the example that Jesus provided. For the word says that in those days Jesus came from, the, from Nazareth of Galilee, was baptized by John in the Jordan, And just as he was coming out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And he heard a voice from heaven saying, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. In this example, Jesus, first of all, leaves his comfort zone. Secondly, he is willing to submit to the presence and move of God in their midst. And thirdly, he was open to seeing and hearing hearing what he needed to make a difference. Humility is often about leaving our comfort zone. Sometimes the exit from our comfort zone is voluntary and sometimes it's involuntary. Sometimes it's physical and sometimes it's spiritual. When I consider this text, even John's clothes and the the diet that the scripture tells us that he uh, adhered to seems to speak to what humility looks like when we leave our comfort zone, when we have no access to excess, when we are out of the reach of things that we commonly splurge on. Not sure what we're going to wear or what we're going to eat. Leaving that which is familiar, that which we have some sense of control over or some sense of ability to maneuver, that's a hard thing for any of us. We don't like ambiguity. We don't like being at the mercy of others. Besides, leaving the familiar requires us to do too much self-examination, too much self-learning, and neither of them is all fun. For Jesus... Leaving Nazareth meant that he left his hometown. In all likelihood, he left his profession as a carpenter as well. I can imagine that living in the same place for 30 years and engaging in a family business, he had to leave many meaningful relationships. He left his comfort zone. 
But stepping out of our comfort zone is a part of what all of us have to do if we are to progress in becoming who we are meant to be. The uncomfortable place is generally where we find the intersection of spirituality and humanity. Some of you have heard me tell this story before about an occasion when I was called to leave my comfort zone. I was in a real, really bad way. I was just going through a lot. And I had this young man who would come for spiritual direction once a quarter. He would come and do a retreat. And while he was here on retreat, I would provide spiritual direction for him. And I had been doing spiritual direction for him for probably for about six years. And he called and said he had scheduled his retreat, wanted to know if I could meet with him. And I said, no, I can't do that. And he said, well, I guess I'll have to cancel my retreat. And I said, no, I'll get somebody else to sit with you. And he said, no, if you can't do it, I won't come. And I started feeling bad, feeling guilty about all of that. So I said, well, give me a chance to pray over it. And I did, and I felt with all conviction and certainty in my heart that I was to provide spiritual direction for him. So I called him back and said, okay, we'll go with the retreat, and I'll provide the spiritual direction. But I can tell you, I had nothing in me to offer. Nothing in me to offer. I was certainly moving out of a comfort zone. But we got into that spiritual direction session. And for 30 minutes, we cried. Both of us cried. So there was a lot of healing and deliverance and a lot of work going on that neither of us knew what was happening. But it was merely because I had made the decision to leave my comfort zone. I would have been a lot more comfortable sitting in my office not dealing with anybody or anything, but that's not where God was calling me. Now, Joan Chittister, a Benedictine nun and well-known author and lecturer on Benedictine spirituality, would say of that intersection of spirituality and humanity that the function of our spiritual life is not to reject our humanity, but to acknowledge our neediness and to bring it to fullness. Moving out of our comfort zone is a demonstration of our willingness to Love not our own will, but to trust in God. And to trust in the God who we know is good and whose will for us is always good. A mark of humility, moving out of our comfort zone. But that mark is also an indication that we're willing to submit to the presence and the move of God in our midst. First of all, let me say this, that in order to discern the presence of God, we must be humble enough to silence ourselves long enough to be able to hear God say, this is the way, move in it. And a good way to understand what humility looks like when we are submitting to the presence and move of God is to think about what it is you think about when you hear the phrase, it's not about me. It's not about me. Now, most of, a good number of you 
who have gone through spiritual direction training here at Rua know that that first year is all about listening. And that phrase, is not about me, becomes almost a mantra because you're constantly reminded that being silent before the other means that you're letting go of yourself. And I think it's not about me was a motivational root of John the Baptist's ministry, serving and preaching to others, preaching about someone else, someone whose sandals he said he didn't even consider himself worthy to tie. John wasn't interested in the limelight. He wasn't interested in the praise or admiration of others. John was interested in preparing the way for what God was doing in their midst. Funny thing about this mark of humility on John, he had the propensity for speaking truth to power. He truly lived into his call as a prophet, even to the point that it eventually cost him his life. Yet John was well able to humble himself before God and in the work of God in his life and in the life of those around him. When Jesus showed up, John lowered his voice, and the voice of heaven was heard. I would venture to say that John learned to rest in God, rest in the knowledge of God's love for him, God loves for all people, and God's love for the nation. The ability to rest in God is nothing less than the mark of humility in our own lives. And we see here that Jesus, like John, submitted to the move of God in his life. You see, a part of submitting to the presence and move of God in our midst is to be true to who we are and not letting others drag us into something that's not our call. Both John and Jesus had to deal with that. You remember people wanted to make John the Messiah. And later on, they wanted to make Jesus a reincarnated prophet. And Jesus understood that his call was not just to be another prophet, but he was called to be the anointed one, the long-awaited Messiah. Unlike many theologians, or even like John the Baptist, who Matthew says questioned Jesus about why he would come to him for baptism, Mark didn't seem to have a problem with that. Mark seems to understand that Jesus' submission was not so much about submitting to John as it was about submitting to the work of God in their midst. It was about submitting to a long-standing and well-known symbol and rites of passage, which was not an invitation of John, but an outward sign of a spiritual birth and an entering into a new life. I would venture to say that Jesus was acknowledging and submitting to his belief in the legitimacy of God's work among them, and he was consecrating himself to the sovereign rule of God in the universe. 
And this is something we're all called to do if we're going to live into this call of humility. And if we're going to be effective in ministry, we have to constantly ask ourselves, what is it that God is doing in our midst? What is it that God is calling me to let go of so that I can get on with God's agenda? And then, too, that mark of humility opens us up to seeing and hearing what we need to see or hear to make a difference. As we grow in our humility, God speaks to us and affirms for us the things we need to know and understand in order that we might live effective and meaningful lives. God is always speaking. We aren't always listening, but God is always speaking. And most of you know, especially those of you, again, dealt with Jeremiah and Ruah, know that Jeremiah makes it, takes it a little further and declares that God is always praying. And we just have to get on God's prayer agenda. Luke tells us that people came from all walks of life to hear John the Baptist down at the Jordan River. And in so doing, they were able to see and hear something different for themselves, something that made a difference in their life. As a prophet of God, John had both a word of admonition and a word of encouragement for God's people. Not only did he call some of them snakes, but he threatened their very lives with, the exist, with, with telling them that God was chopping down fruitless trees. Luke tells us that he spoke to the individuals in a way that they could hear. When some asked, what then should we do? To them he said, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. To others, whoever, whoever has food must do likewise. To tax collectors, he said, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. To the soldiers, he said, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. John was well able to speak to the context in which the people came forth before him. And more so in the gospel in the other Gospels than in Mark, we see that John having such an impact on the crowd began to question in their hearts whether John might be the Messiah. In his humility, John answered, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he, is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I've done that stuff that takes care of the outside things, the public things, but our Lord is going to take care of those things that are gonna really make a difference in your life, that which is internal and that which is eternal. John demonstrates for us that the one who has the mark of humility will sooner or later began to see and let go of that which is import, less important for that which is more important. And Jesus understood that the divine call on his life 
required both an inner and an outer, a private and a public acknowledgement. And humbling himself, God affirmed Jesus, saying, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. And in this whole big process of redemption, the cleaning up of the mess that we have made in this creation, God is still calling us to take on this mark of, of humility. God is still calling us to let go, let, let go of our comfort zones, to submit to God's presence and move in our lives, and to keep our eyes and ears open to hear what it is that is going to make a difference in our life and in the lives of others. We need God's mercy, we need God's love, we need God's forgiveness, and we need God's guidance. Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate standard of humility, who through Paul we are reminded that though he existed in the form of God, did not did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave even, by looking like other men and by sharing in human nature. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. But God exalted him and exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and in earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess to the glory of God that Jesus Christ is Lord. So it is that we demonstrate the mark of humility. Every time we affirm our own baptism, every time we affirm our call to service, every time we do anything to extend the ministry of our Lord, any time we do anything to make somebody's life better, every time we pray, thy kingdom come on earth, even as it is in heaven. Amen.